U.S. House Representative Adam Schiff, the chair of the powerful House Intelligence Committee, became a household name as lead impeachment manager in the trial against former President Donald Trump. Today, the Southern California-based congressperson is investigating the U.S. Capitol insurrection that happened this past January 6th. It's been an unlikely career path for Schiff. When he began his first term in the House of Representatives in January 2001, his big issue was for the United States to recognize the Armenian genocide. Then came September 11th. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today's Thursday, September 9th, 2021. The U.S. Energy Department released a plan that shows how the country could produce up to 45% of its electricity via solar power by 2050. Virginia removes a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee from the state capitol. And Britney Spears' father files to end his conservatorship over the pop star. Hashtag free Britney. Hashtag about damn time. Today, part one of our series on the legacy of 9-11 in California. We'll begin with an interview between Adam Schiff and LA Times national political correspondent, Melanie Mason. We'll talk about his career and how that one day in 2001 changed the trajectory of his political life and American politics forever. Melanie spoke with Representative Adam Schiff at the City Hall patio outside Burbank, California to keep with COVID-19 safety protocol. I'd love to maybe start with locating us on September 10th. 2001. You are nine months into your first term of Congress. Tell me a little bit about how you're seeing the world and your future on that day, on September 10th. One thing that stands out to me about September 10th and the days and weeks preceding the 11th is this was a period that uh, environmentalists had been waiting for and advocating for, where the attention of the Congress and the country could be finally placed on this emerging crisis. And of course, all of that changed the following day. It was a, a very different place in the months leading up to September 11th, a very different set of national priorities, very different mood in the country, a different sense of our own security. We felt, you know, as always, very secure in our homeland. And the last thing any of us could imagine would be a major attack on American soil. We've been the subject of different terrorist attacks and plots uh, in the past, but nothing like we would experience. And it would propel the country in a very different direction. So on the morning of September 11th, where were you? And where were you when you first heard that a plane had struck the World Trade Center? At that point, I was renting an apartment a few blocks away from the Capitol. And I was preparing to walk to the Capitol uh, when the first plane struck. And I couldn't figure out what I was seeing. I didn't understand what I was seeing. You know, could a plane bring down a whole building? And so I was still processing what was going on when I left my apartment to go to the Capitol to find out what was happening, what our response was going to be when one of the aircraft hit the Pentagon and I heard a boom, which I later learned was a secondary explosion, I think, when the fuel exploded. And there were people streaming through the streets away from the Capitol. Uh, I was trying to get to the Capitol to find out where was Congress going to convene. I wanted to make sure that my staff were okay and out of the building. We didn't know that there was still another aircraft that was on its way to the Capitol. 
and it was just chaos. And I remember stopping a policeman and asking, where is the Congress going to convene? And being told that we were going to meet at the police department, which turned out not to be true. And then trying to get through to my wife on my phone to let her know I was okay. And we, we finally did connect as I was you know, standing in the street and I let her know where I was and what was going on and that I was okay. And just remember the, the anxiety in her voice. The next, I think, couple hours were spent trying to figure out where are we going to convene. And then a, one of the more memorable parts of that day was when after we did convene, uh, going out to the Capitol steps and singing God Bless America together. So now with the perspective of 20 years after, we have seen the trajectory of your career in Congress. Do you see the attacks of 9-11 and in particular being in the Capitol that day as shaping what came next? I do, and I remember some years after 9-11 writing a very lengthy piece, which I'm not sure that I ever succeeded in getting published, but I, I looked at George Keenan's letter during the Cold War, a cable that he wrote, uh, which became very influential in how we looked at the Cold War. And I thought, okay, if Keenan were alive today and the cabling about the war we were in against terror, not the Cold War anymore, but the war on terror, what observations would he be making? And one of the things that I concluded was that a lot of what Al-Qaeda was doing was designed to provoke a reaction, to provoke a commitment of resources by the United States that were unsustainable. And in fact, uh, in that respect, you know, we devoted a, enormous amounts of our most precious resource, uh, the deployment of our troops, the risk of the lives of our troops, but also untold trillions of dollars in this effort to fight what attacked us on 9-11. And some of that response was probably what Al-Qaeda was hoping for. So I think that it took us a very long time to realize that what we were doing was effective in part, but ineffective in other part. We were effective in preventing another massive attack like 9-11. We were ineffective in changing the nature of Afghanistan. And after 20 years, I had to make the decision that we could be there another 20 years with no different result. I think our response to that tragedy is a mixed one. We'll be back after this break. And we're back with LA Times national political correspondent Melanie Mason's interview with Representative Adam Schiff. Here, he continues talking about a post-9-11 America. What would you say the impact of 9-11 was on American politics with now the benefit of 20 years perspective? I think that kind of the overriding impact is a recognition of the limitations of military power and our ability to accelerate another country's transition to a more democratic, pluralistic society. And I think, you know, had we to do it all over again, would have not adopted a strategy of a large military presence. We would have taken a much more surgical approach to the problem. and it probably would have been a more successful, less costly approach. So 
I think both our experience in Iraq and in Afghanistan has taught us the limits of even the strongest military power in the world and given us a, a real humility about what we're able to do, what any country is able to do. So I think that's a profound impact. There are a lot of other impacts, most particularly as a result of the war in Iraq, which is also obviously not disconnected from 9-11. In the intel world, it was an abject lesson in how intelligence can be politicized and the disastrous consequences of that. But the after effects, the empowering of Iran will have generational impacts. And so this story isn't over yet. We're still learning from current events, the downstream consequences of that attack. All of those points being taken, We've spoken to other people who have thought very deeply about this topic and heard the sort of same refrain, which is there was an assumption after 9-11 that it would change everything. And we did see this moment of unity, of kind of a rallying together. And then we didn't. And then American politics, if anything, has become more polarized even than it was in the lead up to 9-11, where you had a very fractious presidential election in 2000. And some people say it's better to think of 9-11 and its impact as perhaps more of an interlude than a fundamental change. I'm wondering what you think of that. Well, I think 9-11 will bring about some fundamental changes, most particularly in recognition of the limits of military power. In terms of whether 9-11 was, could have been expected to be a transformational event in terms of national unity and cohesion, uh, even then, I would not have expected that to be a unending phenomenon. Just given what we've seen of the country's history and what we know of human nature, uh, even an event as dramatic as that isn't going to uh, change things indelibly. So I'm not surprised that the unifying impact of that tragedy has dissipated over time. It's probably more a question of what we should have expected for how long it would have lasted and whether it it met expectations or not. Did it change you? I think, you know, certainly the attack changed me. It changed my focus and priorities. The experience we've had since has changed my views on what's doable and not doable and given me a different perspective on national security. Now I'm doing my best, for example, to try to get the intelligence community to make a pivot from the overarching focus we've had on the war on terror to some of the rising challenges that we face from China, some of the persistent challenges we face in Russia, Iran, North Korea, some very difficult areas to operate, but also some really key national security challenges. So it continues to have an impact. While the bureaucracy of the federal government recognizes the need to, you know, continue to focus on terrorism, it's not a thing of the past, and we're always one attack away from being reminded of that. At the same time, we're like a big aircraft carrier trying to change direction. It's very slow, very gradual, and we need to continue to push to make that transition. Do you think that the fact that you were in and around the Capitol complex on September 11th affected how you processed on the day of January 6th being in that building and threats that were to that building? Were you flashing upon that day 20 years ago? I was, and, and for that reason, probably did have a different impact on me than it had on others who were not there that day. The Congress is a very different place than it was 20 years ago. It's a far more partisan place. It's a place that is much less devoted to the institutions of our government, or at least there's 
I should say there's much less bipartisan support for a commitment to the institutions of our democracy. There are more members there to tear it down than there used to be. And a lot of those members haven't been around that long and were elected on platforms of tearing it down. There's a long tradition going back to the nation's founding of running against the government, but people have historically recognized once they have a position of responsibility that there's a need to govern. And we have a large number of members now who do not feel a responsibility to govern. So I view that with a different perspective than someone who that's been their only experience. And it shapes my understanding of things in ways that I can see and probably in ways I can't. We should also note that this anniversary is coming at a time when the country is being challenged by another enemy is not the right word, but another sort of malevolent force, and that's the coronavirus, right? We are in the midst of a pandemic. At the beginning of it, I think there was a sense of maybe this can be a rally around the flag moment, a chance to feel that we're all in this together. I think it's fair to say that that is not how that has played out. And I wonder what you make of how the nation has responded to the pandemic, contrasting it with how it responded to 9-11, and what that says about where we are as a country right now. I think that I guess I would take issue with the premise, only in that from the very beginning of the pandemic, the former president tried to use the pandemic as a political cudgel. So there was never really an opportunity to develop a national consensus that, okay, we're facing a common enemy again. It's in the form of a virus this time, because from the very start, the former president was attempting to form a cultural wedge issue about whether we would accept the advice of scientists and health experts about wearing a mask and then suggesting that the leaders at CDC and elsewhere, uh, Dr. Fauci among others, were simply being hostile to him. There were efforts to distort the morbidity findings when the death rate looked too high. There were efforts to push out misinformation about the increasing number of people testing positive and what it meant for the country. So it was never the unifying event. It should have been. And the fact that we didn't have a unified approach because the former administration was attacking the science and attacking the facts was a tragedy that I think has resulted in the loss of tens of thousands of lives, if not hundreds of thousands of lives that didn't need to be lost and whose effect we're still feeling today. More with Adam Schiff after this break. We're back with the final part of our interview between LA Times national political correspondent Melanie Mason and Representative Adam Schiff. Do you think that we as a society have the capacity to find national consensus? Well, I would say that as long as Donald Trump is on the scene, the answer is probably no. Uh, That's just not where he's coming from. And he is a uniquely destructive figure on the American landscape. There was a window of opportunity after January 6th when the Republican Party seemed poised to turn the corner and recognize what a disaster Donald Trump had been for the country. In Kevin McCarthy's case, he went between attributing responsibility for the attack to going to Mar-a-Lago to kiss the ring again. In Mitch McConnell, that flickering of conscience seemed to last about two weeks when he gave a speech on the Senate floor acknowledging that Donald Trump was 
practically and morally responsible for the insurrection and the attack and by using the biggest megaphone in the world to push the biggest lies in the world, simply because he couldn't accept the loss of the election. And two weeks later, he was asked whether he would support Trump if he became the nominee, and his answer was absolutely. And in that window of time, in those two weeks, we lost the opportunity to turn the corner. So I, I fear as long as that divisive figure is on the scene pushing lies about the last election, it will be very hard to form a national consensus on anything. Once he is no longer on the scene, I think the passage of time, the improvement in our economic situation, the, I hope, the dying out of the virus will provide less fertile soil for another demagogue like that. So I'm hopeful that those days are ahead of us and we certainly have to all do our part to try to bring them about. I want to make sure that you sort of have the opportunity, if there are ways that this anniversary is affecting you that I may not have known to ask. I guess, you know, what I would add is when I think back about 9-11 and the aftermath and what the country's been through since, yeah, I think about the funerals I went to of my constituents who fought in Afghanistan and fought in Iraq. For them and for their families, it's not a intellectual exercise to talk about what's the impact of that day. Whether we used the right approach, whether we understood the limits of military power, what we do in the future affects real people and families and particularly people in uniform. So I'm, I'm grateful and respectful of the sacrifice they made and their heroism and their courage and the sacrifice their families continue to make. And I never want to lose sight of that. You know, among the most searing experiences for me post 9-11 were going to those funerals and getting to know the families, um, uh, getting to know a wife and mother whose child would never see their father. And, and so when we think about the impact of bad intelligence, when we think about the impact of deciding do we use a counterinsurgency or a counterterrorism strategy, those are the real impacts, and those impacts stay with us forever. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, how 9-11 influenced a generation of young Muslims who are too young to fully remember that day, but have had to live in its shadow. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Melissa Kaplan, Ashley Brown, and Marina Peña. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. And our theme music is by Andrew Ripin. Special thanks to Hiba El Orbani. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow the times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us the Puchia Podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this madre. Gracias. <laughs>